All right. So for my last sermon, I want to leave you with this simple, powerful picture of the Christian life. The picture of the vine and the branches that we find in John chapter 15. Uh, So for context, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is the last night before his crucifixion. They've just finished the Last Supper. Judas is gone. He's gone off to betray Jesus. So it's just Jesus with the 11 faithful disciples. And he's giving final instructions to them. Um, this intense urgency. You can imagine the urgency of the moment. This is Jesus. as he's, He knows what's coming. He's about to get crucified. He's going to leave the disciples alone. He's, he's trying to squeeze in all this final teaching, these last things he wants them to know. Um, so it's super urgent, way more urgent than the situation I find myself in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to start a new job tomorrow. I'm not going to I'm not going to die. I'm not moving away even. So it's not that urgent. But still, I feel this sense of, okay, Jesus is communicating his last words to the disciples. Clearly, this is important stuff. He wants them to understand that if they get this, they're going to be okay. And I think that's true for us too. Like If we can just get what Jesus is communicating to us in chapter 15 of John, we'll be okay. Because what he's saying here is, is with this picture, he's saying this is what the Christian life is like. This is the secret, the key to being a disciple of Jesus, is getting this idea of the vine and the branches. So I'm going to read through it, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I'll try to unpack it together. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So this picture that Jesus gives, very simple, but also incredibly deep. Uh, This is at least the second version of my sermon for this week. The first version I wrote was probably about 55 minutes long because I was trying to go through the whole chapter and unpack everything here. So we're not going to do that one. 
What I want to do, though, is just focus on the simple picture today, just the simple picture of the vine and the branches. But I encourage you to dig deeper into this. This is one of those pictures that you can think about and meditate on for a lifetime, and it just enriches you the longer you spend with it. Uh, the metaphor is simple enough. Jesus is comparing the Christian life to a vineyard. Uh, and as you go through the way he talks in, in John 15, it's somewhat circular, which is great. It really brings out the depth. It's almost poetic. Um, but I'm going to try to just straighten it out today and just give you uh, the picture as simply as I can. Just walk through the basic storyline. I'm going to give you the metaphor. Then we go back and say, what does it mean? And then we'll talk about application. Right? So the metaphor, simply, what is, what, is, what is the story that Jesus is telling Okay, so it starts with the vine dresser. The vine dresser wants fruit. Right? A vine dresser is the person who's in charge of a vineyard. What's the job of the vine dresser? To make fruit. That's what they want. They want fruit. Uh, they want all these grapes. So what does he do? The vine dresser plants a vine. Okay, that's the second thing. The vine dresser plants a vine. That's how you get grapes, right? You, you plant the vine and you hope that it grows up and bears the fruit. All right, what happens next after he plants the vine? Well, the vine grows branches. Right? The vine's the part that's connected to the ground, obviously. It's the trunk. It's the part that gets the nutrients, and then it puts out branches. And on this particular vine, there are two types of branches. There's one type where something is wrong. It's defective. There's no fruit being produced. But then there's another type, the expected healthy fruit-bearing branches. So the vine dresser wants fruit. He plants a vine. The vine grows branches. And then the vine, dress, vine dresser does something. He cuts off branches that have no fruit. Right? The branches that aren't producing fruit, you don't want those, so he cuts those off. But the other branches, the good branches, bear fruit for the vine dresser. Mission accomplished. The vine dresser gets what he wants. Okay? So that's the picture. Picture, pretty simple. You got a vine dresser, wants fruit, plants a vine, it puts out branches, he cuts off the bad ones, but the good ones bear fruit. What does that mean? All right, let's start at the top. Jesus starts off by telling us that God the Father is the vine dresser. Verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. That tells us that God has a plan, that what God's doing with this whole world, with the Christian life, he's got a plan. He wants fruit. Like any vine dresser, God wants fruit. He's got a mission, he's got a purpose, he's doing something. And the fruit, as you read through this chapter and, and the surrounding context, the fruit's pretty clear what it is, what's God after. He wants people who love. God is trying to create a people who love like Jesus loves. So in chapter 13, a little earlier, in chapter 13, verse 33, I'm sorry, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in chapter 15, as we read, in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. What's his commandment? Oh, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Verse 17, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So it's pretty clear that the thing that God is going for, that he wants to produce, is love. He wants people who love. So that's the first part of the explanation here. When we talk about a vine dresser wanting fruit, it means that God the Father wants people to love one another. That's what he wants. 
So how does he go about doing that? He plants a vine. How does a vine dresser get fruit? He plants a vine. So Jesus tells us in verse 15, I am the true vine. So the father's the vine dresser. He's the one who wants the fruit. And now how does he do it? He plants the vine. He gives us Jesus. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the source of love. He's the one who brings the love of the father into the world so that we can experience that love and know what that love is like. Again, verse 9 in chapter 15, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is saying, this, God is love. God is love. From eternity past, the Father has loved the Son. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So Jesus is taking the love of the Father that he has for the Son from all eternity, this perfect, infinite, never-ending love, and Jesus brings that love from the Father to us. And Jesus loved the disciples with that love. He loves us with that love. That's what it means for him to be the vine. The vine is that trunk, right, that connects the nutrients from the soil with the branches that bear the fruit. The vine is the conduit through which all that good stuff flows. That's what Jesus is. He's the, he's the trunk. He's the vine. He's the conduit through which the love of God flows to the world. He's the vine. Back in chapter 13, 13 just a few hours earlier in the night before they had supper, Jesus illustrated this really powerfully. He gathered his disciples around the table for the Passover. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So how did he show his love? This is what he tells us happened next in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is what Jesus did at the end of his his ministry. He wanted to make sure his disciples knew how he, that he loved them. He wanted to show them what love was, so he took the position of a servant, the dirtiest job. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He started washing their stinky, dirty, sandal-clad feet. Of course, Peter says, no, don't, don't, don't do this. Jesus says, not. That's, that's beneath you. And Jesus says, no, unless I do this, you have no part in me. He's showing this is what love is. That's why Jesus came, to be this, the vine, the conduit, say this is how the Father loves, this is how I love, sacrificially, serving, giving myself for you. And of course, that's just a picture of the real love that he was about to show a few hours later when he died on the cross. Chapter 15, he alludes to this. Chapter 15, verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He gave us the picture with the washing of the dirty feet, but the reality is we have much more than dirty feet. We have dirty souls. And we cannot heal ourselves. We we all deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus loves us so much that he offered himself to die for us. That's what Romans 5, 8 says, is that God demonstrated his love. How do we know the love of God? How do we get the love of God from, from the ground to the branches? What's the conduit? 
God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. That's what Jesus is. He's the vine. He's the one who brings the love of God to us. He demonstrates what love is. Love is sacrificing yourself for others. Love is washing other people's feet. Love is giving of yourself for their good. And in giving himself for us, he gave us access to the love of God. Not, that we don't, not only that we would see it, but that we would know it by being united to that love. So that's what it means for Christ to be the vine. It means he's the ultimate example and the ultimate source of all love by laying down his life for us. He enabled us to be forgiven of our sins and to experience the love of God. So when we say that the vine dresser planted a vine, we mean that God showed us what love is by sending Jesus to die for us. So that's the first step in God's plan. How does he get a people? How does he create a people who love? First thing he does, he sends Jesus to show us love, to connect us to the love of God. But the next step is crucial. What happens next? Well, the vine, once it's planted, grows branches. It grows branches. And who are the branches? Jesus tells us this one in Uh, John 15, verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You're the branches. So the branches are the people who are associated with Jesus. Here in the original context, he's speaking to the disciples. These 11 disciples, it applies to us today as well. It's the people who, um, who come to Jesus, the people who gather around Jesus are the branches. In normal, everyday agriculture, When you plant a vine, it eventually grows branches. And something similar happened when Jesus showed up in this world. God planted Jesus in this world. He showed love. He uh, he demonstrated this love to the world, and people were drawn to it. The vine just started producing branches. People were saying, I like what's going on here. I want to be a part of that. I want to follow this guy. I want to be around this guy. People started hanging around Jesus. People started following Jesus. Those are the branches, the people who are around Jesus, those that are associated with him. So when we say that the vine grows branches, we we mean that people come to Jesus. But here's where it gets a little tricky. Because Jesus tells us in this passage there's two kinds of branches, two types of people who come to Jesus. Not everybody who hangs around Jesus is truly connected to Jesus. And so he talks about these two types of branches, these two types of people that hang around Jesus. Let's look first at the branches that don't bear fruit. Verse 2, he gives both of these examples. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So he's got these two kinds of branches. Who are these branches that don't bear fruit, that appear to be connected to Jesus? but don't bear fruit, and because of that, get cut off, get taken away. Verse 6 describes it as this, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Who's that group? Now, some people would say, well, those are genuine Christians who, for some reason, underperform, don't do what they're supposed to do, don't produce enough fruit, God's not pleased with them, and so he cuts them off and throws them in hell because they didn't do well enough. They didn't perform enough. They didn't bear enough fruit. Okay, some might say that, and that would be really, really terrifying if that were true. 
Because they would always be wondering, have I produced enough fruit? Have I done enough? Is God going to cut me off? Am I, am I failing? But we know that's not true because of the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture that says that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do. That if you put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sins, you are in that moment eternally saved and secure. You will never be cut off. So then who are these people? Who are these people that appear to be in Jesus but do get cut off? Again, the Bible speaks quite clearly about this group of people in many places. That there is a category of people who have an outward appearance of Christianity. People who look like on the outside that they're with Jesus, that they're, that they're following Jesus, but inwardly they are not transformed. People who outwardly look like they're following Christ, but inwardly there's no spiritual life, there's no real change, there's no new birth that's happened. And sometimes these people are the most religious-looking people of all, people that go to church all the time, people that may know their theology, they're really careful to avoid the obvious sins and live pretty good lives, moral lives. But they're not connected to Christ, not really. They don't have a personal relationship with Him. And what Jesus is saying with this picture here is he's saying ultimately that lack of a personal relationship with him will reveal itself. Just like you can look at a branch that's not bearing fruit and realize, even though on the outside it looks the same as the branch next to it, the one that's not bearing fruit, you can say, oh, that's dead. That's dead. I can tell it's dead because it's not bearing fruit. In the same way, ultimately, God will look at our lives, you will look and you'll see, is there fruit there? And that fruit will reveal the reality of were you or were you not truly connected to Jesus? If there is no fruit, if there is no evidence of a radically transformed life, a life that is now characterized by Christ-like love, if there's no evidence of that, then that's a dead giveaway that you are not truly connected to Christ. And so that's one kind of branch. And what's the vine dresser do to that kind of branch? He cuts it off. Of course he does. Of course he does. Now, what does this mean? When we say the vine dresser cuts off branches with no fruit, we mean that those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus will be condemned for their sins. Just like any other unbeliever. Having the appearance of following Christ counts for nothing. Having the appearance of outward religion counts for nothing. All that matters is, are you truly connected to Jesus through a personal relationship? And that's what the second kind of branch is, um, the branches that bear fruit. So those branches that are connected to Jesus, those branches that are truly connected to the vine, there's evidence of that life. It just flows through them and it produces fruit. That's what he says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Again, simple agriculture. How do branches bear fruit? They've got to be connected to the vine. They've got to be connected to the trunk. And that life-giving power flows out of the trunk, out of the vine, into the branch, and produces fruit. That's where fruit comes from. Not from a branch alone. A branch by itself cannot produce anything. It must be connected to the vine. And that is how the Christian life really works. 
When you become a Christian, you begin this new relationship with Christ, a personal relationship between you and Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves into your life. You get connected to Him. And as you live in that relationship, as you have that connection with Him, and as you foster it through things like prayer and spending time in His Word and with Christian community, as you, as you do that and He dwells in you, He makes you become like Christ. He bears that fruit in your life. The more you, you abide in Christ, the more you become like Christ. And what's the biggest thing that Christ is like? Love. That's his biggest characteristic, right? Christ is all about love, sacrificial love. So the more you stay connected to Jesus, the more you let his life flow in you, the more you become like Christ, the more you love. And look at that, God's getting his fruit. That's how it works. When we say the good branches bear fruit, what we mean is that genuine Christians, those that are connected to Christ in personal relationship, genuine Christians love like Jesus loves. Okay? That's the picture. That's what the Christian life is. If you get this, and it's not that hard to get. I mean, I hope I'm not making it too complicated here. Uh, if you get this, you get Christianity. I'm going to go over it one more time. Just, just make sure we've got it, and then I'll give you some applications. So, so get this. God has a mission. He wants to create people who love like Jesus loves. How does he do it? First, he sends Christ into the world to model that love for us and through his death to connect us through forgiveness of sins to that love. If you put your faith in Jesus, you receive this personal relationship with Christ where the Spirit moves into your heart and as you stay connected to him, he begins to bear that fruit in your life and transform you to become a person who loves like Jesus. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. But if you stay connected to Christ, He will bear much fruit in you. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. So what do we do with that? I'm going to give you three applications. Three applications to put that, that truth into practice. First, start with abiding, not with performance. Start with abiding, not with performance. We know that God wants fruit. We know the vine dresser wants fruit, but we need to pay close attention to the way in which he asks for it. It is really important that we notice that Jesus does not start by saying, um, God wants you to love, so just do it. Now, eventually he does give us that command, but he doesn't start there because he knows it's impossible just to love. It's impossible just to do it. You can't love like Christ unless you have Christ in you. You can't bear fruit by yourself. You're just a branch. So the first thing you have to do is abide. You've got to be connected to the vine. Trying to love people on your own is like finding a dead branch on the ground, picking it up and going, bear fruit. Just bear. You, can, you just try really hard to do it. It's never going to work because it's a dead branch connected to nothing. And that's what happens when we try to love people apart from the love of Christ apart from the power of Christ, apart from being connected to Christ. This is where so many people go wrong, and, and, and that's why i got to preach it again today, is that so many of us start with performance. We start with the commands of Christ, because that's what we hear, right? We hear, this is what you're supposed to do, this is how you're supposed to live. You'll get the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, don't commit adultery. You say, okay, that's what God wants, I'm going to do that. 
But in your own power, you will never be able to do that. All the law can do is show you how much you fall short. It's foolish to try to fulfill the law in your own power. You can't do it. Jesus tells us that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you try to prove the validity of your Christianity by mustering up your effort to obey, you're never going to do it. And when you try, one of two things happens. Either you, you fail and you walk away because you think, well, this Christianity thing's stupid. Nobody can do this. Or you fail and you begin to pretend and put up a mask of hypocrisy because you say, well, everybody else seems to be able to do it. I can't. I can't let them know. And so you start pretending, you make up these other religious activities that you can do. Instead of trying to love each other with a Christ-like love, you substitute things like showing up at church, or stop swearing, or uh, just work harder to be a good person. And all that stuff, as good as it might be, all that stuff is like taking your dead stick and, and an apple and taping it onto the dead stick. And you say, look at me, I've produced fruit. But it doesn't work. And you can call it an apple tree, but it's just a dead stick. There's no life in it. And that's the foolishness of trying to live the Christian life in your own power. The secret. The secret is you don't have to start with performance. You don't have to start with all the commands that God tells you to obey. You start with one command, abide. That's the first command in this chapter. Verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me. That's the command. If you do that command, you'll do every command. If you don't do that command, you'll do none of the commands. Abide. And if you abide in Christ, not only will you keep the commands, he says you will bear much fruit. Verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, abundant fruit. You're not going to be able to stop doing it. If you're abiding in Christ, you will not be able to turn off your sacrificial love for other people. You will do it all the time. It's who you are because Christ is in you. You've got this apple tree in my backyard, and I don't, I don't like it for the apples. It's just a good climbing tree. That's why we keep it around. But every year it bears so much fruit, and it's annoying because we've got to pick it all up and get rid of it. You can't stop it. I can't tell the tree, no, just, just stop bearing fruit because it's alive. It's a living tree. It's going to bear fruit, and it's going to bear a lot of fruit. In the same way, if you are connected to Christ, if you are, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're just going to keep loving people. It's going to keep coming out of you. You're not going to be able to stop it. Everybody you see, you're going to want to love. You're going to give yourself for them because that's what happens when you're connected to Christ. You act like Christ. It's not going to just change you a little bit. It's going to transform your life. So if you've got a real relationship with Jesus, you just need to abide. Do that one command, you'll get all the commands. Don't kill yourself trying to be a better person. Don't focus so much on yourself. You're just a branch. Instead, devote your energy to staying connected to Jesus, developing your relationship with Him, spending time in prayer, listening to Him through His Word, cultivating a relationship with Him in the time you spend with other Christians. And He will bear fruit in your life. So that's application one. Start with abiding, not with performance. The second one's similar. Think deeply about how much God loves you. Think deeply about how much God loves you. Verse 9 gives us a new level of this abiding, because it tells us not just to abide in Jesus, but to abide in His love. 
It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So one of the ways in which we abide in Christ is by abiding in his love, by thinking deeply and meditating deeply on how much God loves us. To abide in it, to abide in something means to live in it, right? Where I abide in my house, right? I live in that place. So you're living in the love of God. You are just dwelling in it, that, that in your life, everywhere you go, everything you do, it is in the love of God. You just have this sense that God loves you. You know it. He says, do that, live that way, abide in the love of God. That's where real fruit comes from. Again, so many of us struggle with the Christian life because deep down, like deep down, there's a part of us that doesn't believe the gospel. We don't believe that simple truth that on the one hand, we are so bad that the only way we can be saved is Christ died for us. But on the other hand, we are so loved that Jesus Christ gladly gave himself for us. We've got to believe that. And we struggle. We struggle to believe that God loves us. We just assume that God thinks about us the way we think about ourselves. Dan tries hard, but, you know, mostly underperforms. That's not how God thinks of you. He doesn't... he, He doesn't think of you as a disappointment. He doesn't think of you who needs to do better, as someone who needs to do better. He thinks of you the way he thinks of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. That's what Jesus says. That's the love that God is giving to you, an affirmation, a complete and total affirmation. God loves you. And if you you don't get that, you're not going to bear much fruit. Because the fruit of a bold, victorious Christian life comes from knowing that God loves you. It comes from meditating on that love, abiding in that love. And when you get that, it changes your life. Just one example. Let's say you're struggling to forgive another person, okay? So you got the commands of Christ. Command is forgive. You know you're supposed to forgive, but you can't do it because they really hurt you. It's a hard one. You want to hold on to bitterness. Um, it's a deep wound. You can't forgive. So what do you do? You try to abide in Christ. So you say, I know I'm supposed to abide. I'm just going to read the scriptures. <clears throat> Let's let the words of Christ abide in me. Let's see what happens. And you're reading along, and you come across the prodigal son story. John 15, incredible love that God has for you. And you read that story, and the Holy Spirit turns on the lights, and you realize in a fresh way how much God loves you. I'm the prodigal, and God forgives me. And then, without even being able to, you don't have to think about it, it just happens as you experience the love of God for you, as, you, as the Word of God is dwelling in you, as you're abiding in that love, you, you just, uh, i got to forgive. It happens naturally, organically, like fruit just showing up on a branch. When you get the love of God for you, it overflows into your life for love for others. That's how you change. That's how the Christian life works. We don't obey because we see God's commands and feel guilty. We don't obey because we have a sense of duty and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to get it done. No, you experience the love of God, you abide in the love of God, and that love transforms you to love other people. When you experience forgiveness of sins, you forgive others. When you get a sense of the patience of God towards you, you show that same patience towards others. When you finally get security in God's love for you, you stop caring about what other people think. 
when you know that no one and no thing can separate you from the love of God, that's when you become willing to risk everything for the sake of love for others. So abide in the love of God. Think deeply and often about how much He loves you. And finally, third application. If you aren't loving others, check your connection to Jesus. If you aren't loving others, check your connection to Jesus. I just got to end with the warning because this passage has a strong warning. We can't neglect it. We got to be really clear. Fruit is not what saves you. Jesus is the one who saves people. But the fruit, the evidence of a changed life, is the visible indicator of the invisible change that's happened. Those who are truly saved, those who are united to Christ by faith, live differently. If you're connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. You will begin to treat other people the way Christ treated them. You will serve others instead of demanding that they serve you. You will sacrifice for others. You will give money away that you would have spent on yourself to help other people. You'll forgive where you would have, seek, where you would have sought revenge. In all sorts of real, tangible ways, your life will change. It's inevitable. If you're truly connected to Jesus, you will bear fruit. So I end with the warning. Examine yourself. Is there evidence in your life that Christ is living in you? If the one who gave his life to save the world is living in you, your life, to some degree, should be characterized by that kind of love. Are you loving others? That's what God wants. That's all He wants. And if you're not, if there's no fruit, if you realize I am just pretending, just going through the motions, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I've just been acting religious all this time, the solution is very simple. You don't need to try harder to produce fruit. You just need to be connected to the vine. And you do that by repenting of your sin, admitting your need, and asking Jesus to come into your life with his life-giving power. That's it. And when you do that, he begins to change. He begins to change you from the inside out, and you will bear much fruit. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. Abide in Christ. It's the secret to the whole Christian life.